a choice right now, right now, between fear and love. It's just a run. Out of the dark night of ignorance and into the shining light of truth. Expounding reality. A population of citizens capable of critical thinking. We don't see things as they are, we see them as we are. There's a, a level of reality where everything dissolves into an ocean of energy. We empower our experience by insisting on our authenticity. That's very profound. Very Expanding reality. Mark Gober. Oh my God, we love the shit out of you here. You have got a new book out, an end to Upside Down Medicine. Man, I've got a stack of your books back here. Every time uh, Mary walks in the room with a package from me, it says, Mark Gober. I'm like, holy shit, yes, let's do it. I just finished this bad boy. Again, your writing style continues to improve. I love getting in the Mark Gober groove with my uh, reading with you because you do cite quite a bit. I'm going to be honest here. You cite a bit, but the way you do it is readable, which I fucking thank you more than anything in the planet. Also, you have this amazing bold letter style that you will do. Emphasis added. He is very certain of letting you know. And, dude, I absolutely love it. So we're going to talk all about this. Now, your other episodes, because you have been on the show a few times, man. You're a brother, and I'm grateful for you. have much respect for your work from your beginning book on End to Upside Down Thinking 2018. I was driving around in my little beer sales car listening to your voice on audiobook going, holy shit, this guy's amazing. And then a year, two years later, would start a show, and then now I get to sit here and hang out with you with, of course, your newest book. Uh, my friend, again, all the ways to find you located down below as well as the other episodes. What have you been up to besides crushing it at life in general, dude? Well, first, Brandon, thank you for the kind words, and thank you, as always, for having me on the show. I love being here with your audience because I feel like your audience really – Gets what I'm working on. We're smelling Not what you're does. in. Yeah. Yeah. So what have I been up to? Well, I wasn't planning on writing this book until somewhat recently. <laughs> it, it, um, I had heard about the topics generally over the last seven years since my, if you want to call it, initial awakening, uh, where I was challenging the medical paradigm in my own life. But things congealed basically over the last few months. And I said, this is big enough where I've got to write a book. And now that the book is out, I'm exhaling a little bit and trying to take a little bit of a breather. And that's where I'm at. Yeah, take some space, you know? That's so important. And to all you authors, artists, musicians, anybody out there, you got a massive project. Extreme burnout is a very real thing. Uh, this is a PSA for all you creatives out there. Take a deep breath, integrate, be proud of yourself, don't be hard on yourself. Know this also, as most people don't know this, there's no finished works of art. Mark Gober, did you know that? There's no such thing as a finished anything. Unfortunately, I do know that because every time I write a book, I realize very shortly thereafter that it was incomplete and that I left things out. And then that's why I keep writing. Good. That the, the realization of it that was so palpable and important. This is so important. I was speaking to an author, uh, an artist rather, the other day. We were talking about this and she was like, yeah, this and that with the art. And I was like, well, it's like in music, there's no such thing as finished works of art. There are only abandoned works of art. You get to a mature point with it and you fucking move on and you do something else. And we're proud of you for moving on from this when you did, even though, yes, you're going to, you can always review mirror that shit, but you know what? It's back there and you got more things in you. So I'm excited to see your end upside down history where you dive into Tataria and fucking all that shit, man. Ooh. So, yeah. Yeah. But, I'm interested um, in all that. I, I just don't know enough yet. 
Dude, nobody does. It's all guessums. And maybe just do that and into upside down anything and then just write whatever you want based on nothing, cite nothing. Just be like, man, I think this world's fucking crazy and just draw <laughs> doodles. I'd read the shit out of it. Um, but uh, so what uh, about medicine makes you sick? Hmm. Well, I just I don't think that the modern paradigm looks at the human body properly and therefore it doesn't look at the determinants of health and quote unquote disease properly. And that's pretty fundamental because how we're feeling is going to impact what we're doing in the world and what we're capable of doing. And if we're not feeling well, and if we're not healing properly, we're going to have issues. And that kind of summarizes where we are on the planet. It's a wild time. The 2020 man, that's when really, honestly, I, that's when the terrain germ theory thing got on my radar. I wasn't yeah. even thinking about it before. I knew I didn't take flu shots and shit like that, but I didn't know why. I was just like, ah, just, I'm good. I'm healthy. You know, I don't go to the doctor. I don't need that shit. But I, I, it, but since then I've really looked at this and it, it makes the most damn logical sense. And of course, because it's so pushed the other direction that it makes even more sense that it's been so apprehended. So let's talk about it, man. Allopathic medicine. What the hell's mm -hmm. up with that? Yeah, well, that's the mainstream paradigm. And since 1910, the Flexner Report, which was supported by the Rockefeller Foundation, the Carnegie Foundation, changed the way that medicine was done. And this is out in the open. This isn't conspiracy theory. There's an entire report that, that anyone can read. And basically, it wanted to take away the holistic approach, um, homeopathic approaches, anything alter that we would call alternative today that was pushed aside in favor of the allopathic model. And to me, the, the core characteristics of allopathic medicine is that number one, it doesn't look at the root cause of disease. It's much more focused on getting rid of symptoms. And the other is that it is reductionistic. So it likes to do things such as say, you are sick, Brandon, with these symptoms because of a germ. And this is the pill that we're gonna give you to take care of it. It's a very simplistic model. Whereas health seems to be much more multifactorial in reality. 100%. It's, it's so many top-down things, and especially the root of psychology is probably the most of this, how your mind is working, how you think about yourself, what your environment is doing. All of these things are so crucial, yet very shucked aside by the mainstream medical community and medical industrial complex, right? And big pharma just can't handle that you could just grow something in your backyard that will cure you instead of their petroleum products that will kill you. And there are just fascinating studies that you cite in your book of just case after case after report after report after doctor's notice that just go against the mainstream model and actually just blast it to shit. And in such a such a condensed form too, you didn't give us like a 700 page look at it, but you you nailed it with your concise arguments in here, man. So uh, let's let's dive further into this. So what, what got you sniffing around this? Uh, rabbit hole in the first place? Well, I would say back in 2016, when I first realized that everything I believed about consciousness was wrong, <laughs> that consciousness is beyond the body. And that was my first book and end upside down thinking psychic phenomena are real. There's evidence that consciousness survives when the body dies. That just blew, blew up my paradigm. And within that, I, I had to rethink health. So I'll give an example that I mentioned in this new book and end upside down medicine. I was looking a lot at children who have memories of a previous life where these kids are between two and six years old. University of Virginia has looked at over 2,500 cases of them. These kids are saying things they shouldn't know about and the researchers can find historical records. 
But in some of the cases, the children have birthmarks or physical defects in their body that align with their death in the alleged previous life. And the researchers in the best cases can find a medical record. So what Dr. Ian Stevenson from UVA said is that modern medicine traditionally thinks that the two things that impact your physical form are genetics and environment. And he says, wow, we have a third factor here, a third factor. I mean, that's a pretty big deal if we're missing an entire factor. And there's probably more factors than just that. So that was on my radar. And I even mentioned that in my my first book and end upside down thinking. So that stuff was on my mind. But early 2020, I was questioning the whole narrative around what was happening. And there was a spectrum of, of dissident arguments that I heard. Some people were saying COVID's not that serious. It's not a big deal. Others were saying it's all about an injection um, agenda. I'm not going to say the word to get people to take an injection. And then there was this even further out there argument that I heard, which said that the virus itself that's causing all the lockdowns, that doesn't exist. And I remember hearing it and saying, their arguments are way too technical. I have no idea what they're talking about. I can't disprove this. And then you'd hear a lot of people and they still say this, they, they'll say, this is a psyop to undermine the health freedom movement. So I would hold that in my mind too, that this maybe is just a fringe argument. And I heard people continuing to talk about it over the years. Um, and I hadn't, I, I wasn't diving into it. I was writing about other books um, that kept me busy. <laughs> and I think maybe where it shifted a bit for me is I spoke at a conference in um, outside of Nashville, Tennessee called Rebels for Our Cause. And it was run by Courtney Turner. And I spent some time with Alec Zek there. He hosts the podcast, The Way Forward. And I had been on a podcast with him before, so we kind of knew each other, but I got to spend some time with him in person. And he gave a talk on this topic of the history of virology and the, the arguments that I had been hearing for several years before that. And he also invited me to participate in his series called The End of COVID. And it's over a hundred hours or something of interviews with people, which I was participating in as um, someone talking about the great reset and government and liberty. I wasn't talking about germ theory versus terrain theory, but when it was published this summer, and it's still available if any of your audience members are interested, it's worthwhile. There's so much stuff there. It's like a it's like a spiritual practice if you just spend hours and hours over months to listen to it. But I was listening to what people were saying about germ theory versus terrain theory. And I heard arguments for the first time that I'd never heard. And then I got intrigued because I said, if there's any reality to this, this is big. And then it ties into my prior work on consciousness. And long story short, I realized that there was there was too much there that I I couldn't put it aside. And the way I try to approach the book, and you can tell me if I achieve this or not, I, I try to present the positions rather than say, I know for sure. So what I wanted to do is to say like there, so the position to make clear to your audience is not just that SARS-CoV-2 has never been found as a virus, but no alleged virus has ever been found. None of them. Okay. <laughs> and uh, when we say virus, I'm not referring to the old definition of a virus that was from thousands of years ago, which is that a virus was a poison. And there's a whole history of virology that I go through in the book where it evolved into, no, it's a protein encased a set of genetic material that replicates inside of a host cell and then it makes people sick and then it goes outside the host cell and then it gets into your other cells and then people have symptoms. That's a very specific thing that they're talking about. And what the art, this, this we'll call it the no virus group. They say that that, that entity has never been established and that people do get sick and have symptoms, but it's for reasons other than this alleged particle. So what, what I try to do in the book is to say like, 
we need to have an, a debate about this because what I'm seeing a lot of is not a debate, is people making counter arguments to the no virus position without even understanding what the no virus position is. So I'm like, no, we, we got to lay out what it is. And then the readers can decide. I can decide for myself. It doesn't really matter what I think. I just wanted to lay it all out there for people to make their own decisions start and start asking questions. And why is this important? And then I'll pause because we all have to make health decisions for ourselves. We have to decide to take an injection or a medication when we're not feeling well. So yeah, we're not doctors on the show and this is the, we're not giving medical advice, of course, but we have to make decisions for ourselves. And I think having being educated is part of the empowerment process. You know, you have this section changing definitions of a virus and it's it's things like this to where what you do in this and you you nail this. Your your position on this is very secured in that you ask a ton of questions. One of my favorite stories is when my, our dear friend Mark Ollie met Eric Von Daniket, you know, the author of uh, Chariots yeah. of the Gods. And he said, you know, blah, 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 I love your work, all that stuff. You know, what's this all about? And he said, no offense, I'm an archaeologist, but I love your work. And Von Daniket just put his little pudding down or whatever. And he looked at him and he said, do you know that there are 236 question marks in that book? And then picked up his pudding and then ate it again. So that's what you do here. You present tons of questions but absolute factual things that you can look up in here your end notes man i i was reading through this and i got to your conclusion and i was like no no no. there's way there's a lot of book left but your end notes is this i mean you you cite so much i was like okay but it, it it's fascinating because of the questions that you are asking you obviously have a position but that position is being backed up by irrefutable data in my mind and the examples that you use especially in some of the diseases and we're going to talk about some stuff but when you dive more into these again the questions you're asking are the ones but alongside of this amazing evidence that there, no virus has ever been found what i was thinking when i was uh, reading through this was that you you get to this point with these where as the evidence is being presented it's saying uh, but this has never been found and we cannot find any data uh, finding that uh, and we have no idea what this looks like. There is no picture of it. And then the fact that it's not taken live, that there are slices of amber, and so that can be particulars of anything. And so no live anything has ever been, if it is at all. And then also, again, uh, just how deep it goes with they get to a question, they don't know an answer, and they insert a god, right? They're just like, uh, God did it, or uh, a virus did it, because they, they've ran out of that way of treating someone when the answer has been back there the whole time they ran down just a dead end it's fascinating right and that there's an entire field of <laughs> virology that's based on something that people say don't exist you know if that's true it's wild and there's also a lot of financial interest behind it but i want to just double click on a few things you said because i some of your members of your audience might be saying well what do you mean that there's no virus because i've seen a picture of it and they pointed an arrow and that's the virus and the, the counter argument of the no virus position is, yeah, you're seeing something, but how do you know it is that protein encased genetic material that's replicating and causing illness in people? Because the pictures are taken of an unisolated soup, basically, to use layman's terms, and it could be cellular debris. And if they're not looking at live material, it's static under an electron microscope. It's been bombarded with, with electrons and, and temperature changes and all sorts of things. So... They're, they are seeing things, yes. People are getting sick. Yes, they're running genetic studies. The question is, are they doing it on this alleged virus? So it's really talking about the foundations here. And what it seems like is that they've skipped some fundamental steps. And it's really about logic at that point where they haven't run 
the scientific method properly. They haven't used an independent variable, which is kind of an important thing. You need to introduce an independent variable to see what happens to the study. If you don't have an independent variable that's isolated, you can't really do that. And then you also can't have a proper control if you don't know what you're controlling against. So this is basic scientific method stuff. And, and I do say this line in the book that the best case scenario here is that the field of virology often uses sloppy science science in quotes. And the worst case scenario is that there's just no virus there and that all indications of a virus that they would call a virus is just an indirect metric that they're tying to this alleged particle that's not there, such as PCR tests and other things. They're picking stuff up, but is it the specific particle that as we define a virus? That's the question. And is it transmissible? The transmissibility of any of this shit was gone over so well in this. And we think about the studies with the army about <clears throat> excuse me, about them coughing in the mouths and spitting in the mouths and all of these intricate ways of trying to get bodily fluids to transmit disease of any kind coming up, fuck all, bubkis. And they published this shit because they, they that's what happened. It, it's fascinating also this idea of how they attempted to demonstrate that this would come in contact with any kind of organism by injecting it into this brain, right? Mm -hmm. And so this method of transmission that they did in the lab was ridiculous as well and needs to be called into question because when am I going to be injected with something into my brain that's then going to give me a virus, right? It's how often am I coming across shit that's injecting me in the brain is kind of the point you're making. Yeah, I'm glad you, I'm glad that came out of the book, that that point oh, yeah. came out. So that makes me happy. That So it's not just the in challenging the, the conventional allopathic model, it's not, not just challenging whether viruses exist, but it's challenging the model of contagion. The idea that there are germs inside one person's body and then they can go into another person's body and make that person sick with the same symptoms. That's just sort of a given that we all assume is true. And I was continuously blown away when I was looking at, well, if that's true, then it should be so easy to demonstrate that. Just put a sick person in a room with some healthy people or animals, ethics aside. Or if the virus is, or the bacteria, whatever it is, if it's so contagious, it's going to make people so sick, why not just put a little bit of it in the air in a group of, of healthy people or animals and see if they all get the same symptoms? And they all should. Why should any of them be safe, right? And that's a, one of the issues with contagion is that not everyone gets it. And we saw that with the quote unquote pandemic and all that. But what you were saying is the key is that um, the studies that are trying to demonstrate contagion do it in a very unnatural manner. Well, they'll, they'll take an unpurified sample, for example, and then they'll inject it in animals in their trachea or in the brain. And then the animal gets sick and might die. And they're like, look, that's contagion. Now we can, we know. <laughs> see, see guys, fucking viruses, man. Told you. It's like, no, maybe the fact that it got injected in the brain by some nonsense is what killed it, you know, and the stress of what you're doing to this poor thing, you know? I mean, let's fundamentally talk about that. It, it's those kind of things that were absolutely pointed out in your book, man. Yeah. And they're not running controls. So what if they injected water rather than this cell culture soup or whatever it is that they're injecting? Um, would that make the animal sick? So the scientific method has seemed to been, it, it's like a, an afterthought in some of these cases where what the scientists seem to care about is just observing something, but observing something doesn't tell you the cause. It's just an observation. It's that's the first step. And there's a scientific method that allows you to try to learn more about the observations that is not done well enough. I love the metaphor you use. Just because you see firemen at a fire does not mean they cost it. I love that. That's a yeah. great metaphor because yeah, they're there present on the scene, but it, they're there to fight the fire actually. It, it's a brilliant metaphor and it, it marries perfectly with this. So you, you come across a couple of these things. I'd like to just, if you don't mind, run across a couple of the highlights here. AIDS. Let's talk about that HIV and AIDS and what was going on with all that shit, buddy. Hmm. It's kind of mind blowing. 
all of it. <laughs> um, well, there's the one, the far end of the position. And if your audience is interested, I would recommend going to the perthgroup.com, P-E-R-T-H, the perthgroup.com. Like they it. were arguing, well, there is no HIV virus. Yeah, people were getting sick, but there was no virus in the first place. And there's a paper, it's highly technical, it's called HIV, a virus like no other on their website. And I mention that because if this all sounds crazy, read a paper like that and you'll see that this is a scientific debate, a hardcore debate. And also check out A Farewell to Virology by Dr. Mark Bailey. It's available at his wife's website, drsambailey.com. And that was written more recently. The Perth Groups was years ago. Dr. Mark Bailey's was within the last year um, that kind of goes through the whole history of virology. So anyway, HIV AIDS, there's one faction, I would say it's the, the minority that said there was no HIV virus. And then there was this other bigger minority, which says, yeah, there are a lot of people getting sick with what you might call AIDS, which has a very broad definition, but it's not from an HIV virus, even though an HIV virus does exist. They might be getting sick from um, lifestyle issues, drug use, false positive tests, also, and even the drugs that are used to treat it such as AZT. So factors like that, this is a huge topic. And, and chapter one of my book goes through some of, of those issues because I mean, that's quite the industry on its own financially. It's an insane idea. And why do you think it was so successfully propagated? I think what we have seen in the last few years shows us a playbook where once an idea is put forth, it becomes truth and that's it. I mean, I mentioned the initial announcement of HIV um, that it was in 1984, I believe. One of the leading health authorities says we've discovered the scientists have discovered HIV is the probable cause of AIDS, and then the word probable was shortly thereafter dropped. Yeah, and I, I mentioned uh, Carrie Mullis, who won the Nobel Prize for uh, discovering the PCR test, which has become very important these days. But he was writing a grant proposal and mentions this in his autobiography. And the first sentence of the grant proposal was, HIV is the probable cause of AIDS. And he goes, I should probably footnote this. And he started asking people, what's the, what's the source? And they would direct him to the CDC website and he couldn't find anything there. So that caused him, a very prominent guy, to start asking questions. The guy that created the test that was used to do everything that the past few years did that can be used to find anything, which is fascinating. He even openly admits, uh, why are you guys using it for that? It, it can be used to find anything. Mm -hmm. Not happy about it and fascinating. Uh, by the way, everybody listening, not only with, uh, how to find Mark in his books, but I'm going to be linking the things down below that he is talking about, the Perth Group, as well as Dr. Mark Bailey. So you guys can check that out there. But again, the, the work that you did on this uh, and, and the light that you've shown on at least even the correlation between the sicknesses, the obvious uh, tainting of personal, personalities specific to a completely specific demographic to demonize, as well as in conjunction with the treatment drugs that were really doing all the killing. It's fascinating breakdown that you, that you have of it, dude. Thank you. And I, I would say, Brandon, it's an it's a exercise in critical thinking. Because the default in the modern society is people were, they, they'll say, there are a lot of people in the same place at the same time, and they got similar symptoms, most of them. Therefore, there was a virus. And I would say that's one possibility to explore. Great hypothesis. But what are other ones? What else was in the environment at that time? Was there a toxin? Did they all eat something? Was there radiation? Was there a lot of electricity that was messing with people? Was there something in consciousness? You know, that, that's more esoteric that was affecting people in terms of resonance or was a similar emotional shock. Point is that that critical thinking isn't happening. 
And that's what I try to instill in the book because I don't know the answers for what, if we look at Spanish flu or polio, all these different things, there are other explanations beyond just a pathogenic virus that could explain why people got sick. There's a book I've got a copy of. I just didn't grab it to hold it up for the camera, but um, uh, The Invisible Rainbow, Arthur Furstenberg. You mm -hmm. mentioned it in this. Um, yes. That is an amazing book. Uh, if you guys want to check that out, it goes more in detail about what he's talking about. A specific environmental cause could be from all the rollout of all this electromagnetic nonsense that we're bombarded with constantly, guys. It's not natural. And uh, in that work, he shows the correlation between specific outbreaks or pandemics or massive um, environmental virology type things uh, that occurred right at the rollout of massive technological changes as well, along with uh, kicking out of radar, shooting out of satellites, like all of them launched humanity into this new era of pandemics and <clears throat> dis-ease within their body just simply due to the electromagnetic radiation bombarding them constantly, which is sort of my next question, man. Um, you know, it's easy to hide a virus in the waves of 5G or something like that. You can bombard people with these things and then give them a narrative of something that no scientist can prove but also because like exactly what you said it doesn't matter if it's convincing it's going to take way longer to undo it than it is to do the damage that it needs to initially which is going to be what we like to refer to as the sheeple or the npcs or whatever you want to call them there's seems to be a significant number population of uh, the folks that will just line right up for these things and it's folks like us that will question it and do the critical thinking uh, not for them uh, for us and anybody who cares to listen to that and read your amazing books but it it seems um, that that is the virus itself is that that upside down way of thinking that's right so there might be a virus if we just redefine it as <laughs> as um, yeah i mean some kind of an of an injury a mental injury in terms of how we think or an emotional injury or some kind of a poison it might just not be this genetic this very specific definition that started i would say in the around 1954 with the famous enders and people study where the definition became something specific and that's what is now being used to shut down the world yeah I want to ask this Princeton grad something crazy I've been thinking about, okay? Yeah. What if, what is happening in the transhumanistic movement, like this whole idea of getting chips in your head, being integrated with technology, being deceived, so your physical eyes are covered and now you're in a new world, this metaverse type idea, the push to something like this is because the unraveling of all of the, let's say the medical industrial complex in particular, let's say that as we shift into a new paradigm, let's say that this realm resets or something like that, something weird is happening here. I don't know what it is or whatever, but there seems to be a lot of changes that the narrative doesn't explain at all. We're talking about craft in the sky, paranormal things, amazing colors and stuff in the sky, the moon doing weird shit. So the narrative itself, the fundamentals of reality are starting to be observably falling around, around, falling down around you. So it could be I'm just going to ask you here that do you think that things like schizophrenia and stuff like that, people are going to start seeing the same things that those crazy people do and they're going to start witnessing UFOs, but all of them together in such a way that then they're telepathically communicated with. And so what I mean to say is the phenomena itself is ramping up, whether society is ready for it or not. And this integration into hurry people into a technological world could be to avoid the encounter with said things which would then just blast the whole fucking wall off of everything because there's no hiding behind any of it anymore. Yeah, it's a good theory. I don't know. I mean, it does feel like the veil is being lifted in so many different areas. The fact that we're having this conversation and it wasn't on our radar a few years ago. Yeah. And so things are seem to be accelerating where people are asking questions. 
um, but I don't know how it's going to manifest multidimensionally. I mean, I know my own experience, time feels weirder, life feels weirder than it did for sure, but I'm not having those kinds of experiences with entities or anything. I'm not either. Good on you. I don't, uh, you know, what I've come to understand that it's probably not something we want. So actually, I think yeah. what we have, Mark, is this uh, superpower, actually, this inability to be fucked with astrally, you know? So good on you, man. Uh, yeah, right I'm not that interested in it, Brandon. I don't really want to, I'm good without it. I agree with you. And um, I uh, was always there, but I was like excited, you know, kind of a thing. I was like, ooh, yeah, let's fucking find out what this is all about. Maybe I'll see something, decide how I feel about it. Sort of like psychedelics. I thought it was like that. I thought you could yeah. just go, yeah, yeah, I'd like to take mushrooms for a minute, see what it's like, and then bounce. Yeah, I'd like to see a UFO. Yeah, I'd like to meet some aliens or have a paranormal experience. Fuck all, right? And so it was after that that I was like, you know what, actually, good. Uh, what I what I now feel about what those things are, I don't want anything to do with them. So yeah. Yeah. So, uh, superpower. Well done. Uh, Cotches postulates. How did you mm -hmm. say that, by the way? Did I nail it? I, I believe it's it's Koch's oh, postulates. Robert yeah. Koch. I don't know. He's German, I believe, so I'm not sure what the correct pronunciation is. Okay. Well, tell us about that. It's a it's a basic way of determining, of, of showing transmissibility of a germ. And this was something that was conceived, I believe, in the late 1800s. He was a famous scientist, won a Nobel Prize. And in the modern era, some people would say that these are outdated postulates, even though in 2003, it was on the WHO's website as the way, the logical way to determine transmissibility. And it was taken off their website, but Dr. Mark Bailey uh, found it on the archive that it's still there. So I, I cited that quote. Um, but it's it's very basic, which says that the first thing, you, and I hope I'm getting these exactly right, but I think the gist of it is correct. I it's got in the book. Here. You want to run them? Let me try. Let's see if okay. I can do. That's yeah, how yeah I please, do. please, sir. Um, the first thing to do is is that is showing that a path a germ is only found in sick people and not healthy people, um, which is important because there are a lot of bacteria. We might talk about E. coli or Staphylococcus or something and say this person has an infection, but you would find those bacteria in a healthy person too. So it must be the case that something changed to have an overgrowth. And the idea in the terrain model is that bacteria on their own are not pathogenic. They appear like a cleanup crew when there is a there's a dead and dying tissue in the body. So yeah, there could be an overgrowth, which could be problematic, but that's not the root cause. The bacteria are there actually to help with the issue. So Koch's postulates are problematic for bacteria <laughs> in terms of bacteria causing disease, because why do they exist in healthy people and they're not getting sick? So um, then I believe you want to isolate the germ in a pure culture and then introduce it into a healthy individual and replicate the symptoms of that the germ is supposed to have and then re-isolate that germ from the sick person so the the, the chain of events is you've got this germ put it into a healthy person makes them sick with symptoms and then re-isolate it afterwards and show that that germ was in the person and you'd think that that would be an easy thing to do and there are papers out there that would say we've we've uh, fulfilled Koch's postulates that exists, but with regard to viruses, it's problematic because there are people who say, well, you actually haven't isolated a virus. You've, you've isolated a soup of cellular material that you think is, has a virus in it, but you haven't actually shown that there's a virus. So I like it because I've had some conversations with people just generally speaking, because who just believe in contagion, like I used to. And I would say, well, if you wanted to empirically demonstrate that a germ causes disease, how would you do that? 
And then we walk through basically what I just talked about with Koch's postulates using my layman's terms. And they're like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And then I'm like, well, do you know how they do it in a lot of these studies? They're taking a soup of material and injecting it into animals in different parts of the body and they're not running controls. And yeah, the animals got sick and that's how they determine it. And it, I mean, and I want to say that, I mean, I haven't read every study that's ever existed and neither has have the doctors that I've looked at. So there could be someone that comes up and say, look, here's this one study that we think demonstrates contagion properly. But where I come out on it is there should be books and books of studies on every infectious disease showing like over and over again, using this very basic means, natural means of, yeah, there was a sick person, the sick person went in there, then everyone else got sick, like over and over again. That doesn't seem to exist. And that's a red flag for me. It's, it makes all the suits funny, you know, all the CDC suits and all the face plates and all that kind of shit, because you can't get anything that way. That's what makes this so damn funny. That's why it's a, it was clown world for us for, for a long time looking at it this way. Army studies and you cite studies here of, again, uh, them spitting into people's mouths, coughing five times, uh, laughing, talking very close for like three minutes and all of that. And nothing. No one ever got anything. And that was Spanish flu, supposedly <laughs> the deadliest pandemic ever. And they could not demonstrate contagion. They tried using natural means to cough in each other's faces and all that. Um, and they were unable to do it. So I know there are people out there that have been compiling these quote unquote failed contagion studies. They're I mean, I mentioned an example with regard to smallpox. It wasn't a study, but it was a doctor who tried, who just didn't believe in contagion in the 1800s. So he had a patient with smallpox symptoms. That person was having symptoms and he took the pus and was like smothering it all over yeah, his body was, and then was shaking was hands with people. Read, yeah, but he, but no one got sick and they quarantined him. And, and so um, it, it, when you really, it, it takes a lot of unwinding, but you, the, the core question is, how do I know this thing that I believe to be true? Do I really know that I caught something when I got sick when I was around people? And you realize, wait, that's just an inference. I'm jumping to conclusions. I don't know. There could be other reasons that we got sick. Yes, especially this idea of proximity and that a few people get sick at once. Uh, Furstenberg, again, in his book, talked about uh, there was some contagion. I forget what it was, but a boat had left Cuba and was heading back to Europe. And in the time it took, there was it was double the incubation time of when anything would have set in. But for some reason, both parties, the one on the boat and the one that stayed behind, got sick at exactly the same time with some horrible pandemic type flu. And it was due to some new electricity that was going off or solar radiation storm or something like that. It can be correlated as well to CMEs and everybody gets sick from just a solar flash because it's so much electromagnetic radiation and your sure. body can't absorb it, man. We're not built for that kind of shit. So yeah, you're going to get dicked with, and especially to bombard us with it constantly, and then perhaps be injecting everyone with these, you know, nanoparticles that are very questionable, and you don't know what the fuck is in this stuff. And there are a lot of questionable things that are in it now that they say, why the hell is this in there? That's not explainable, and it's poison. It's it's awful. Yeah. Right. What do you thought? Other about factors, the, not yeah. just a germ. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, so. Let's uh, talk about polio, SARS, rabies, and chicken pox. All these things. What do you think? Uh, rabies was an interesting one. Let's actually talk about that. Yeah, I mean, there are lots of, there's so many theories on it. And what I, I, what I try not to do in the book is say exactly like what caused all these things for sure. The problem is that the, there isn't much funding relatively on non-germ based causes because everyone's thinking about the germ. Um, I mean, with regard to rabies, First of all, the number of cases are really, really low. And the way that the vaccine was conceived, first of all, Louis Pasteur, he believed that there was a rabies virus because he couldn't find anything 
there. And it, because at the time, the electron microscope hadn't been invented. That was in the 1930s. And that's what you need to be able to see something as small as a virus is. So he couldn't find anything and said, basically, there must be something there. And then the way he did the vaccine, it was a very barbaric method. It was something like something like taking the spinal fluid from a sick animal and then injecting it in the brain of another animal and then taking that spinal fluid and like doing that a bunch of times and then using the result as the vaccine, quote unquote. And then yeah, there are like questions in nature. about- yeah. Right. Exactly. That's how it works in nature. So there are questions about the efficacy of the vaccine or even I've heard so many theories on this that that quote unquote vaccines that these these substances, maybe they do shut down the body's ability to detoxify in some way. So they could reduce symptoms, but it's not actually like stopping the pathogen or maybe they just don't do anything. And the, the number of cases go down uh, because of other factors. So some people might say, well, look, the vaccine was introduced and then all the cases went down, even though I show cases, instances where um, the vaccine was introduced when the deaths were already way down. So um, one one of the theories on rabies that uh, one of the doctors I mentioned, she says that it could be that the, the animal is really sick with some kind of toxicity and is passing on the toxicity through a bite. Um, it could be that there are miscategorizations. So if there isn't actually a virus, which... Um, I, I quote Christine Massey, who sent out freedom of information requests to organizations all over the world. So with regard to SARS-CoV-2, um, over 200 organizations, including the CDC in 40 countries, asking for an isolated virus prior to putting it into a soup of cell stuff, um, cellular material, and none of them have an answer for it. But she's done it for other viruses, too, along with her colleagues, and rabies is one of them where they don't have the isolated form It used in terms of having an independent variable. Um, so that's a problem in terms of trying to determine that that is the cause of disease. It's a huge problem because it's just make them ups, you know, and who's to say that just the fact that somebody came to you and said, Hey, this will work. Wasn't enough to really cure people more of the placebo effect. Yes. It was a barbaric way of going about it. Maybe there's nothing to it at all. Maybe they had to fight that off as well as whatever reaction they were getting through. But just the thought of having something by this injection, maybe was enough and they survived whatever the hell was in it to cure them of whatever. It's a fascinating thing also about the mind, and we're gonna talk about consciousness's role in this, but I definitely wanna point out that in your book, something you were speaking about on here, guys, the video version located down in the show description. Also, we're doing transcripts of these now, so you all can go over to Patreon, they're totally free. Uh, check that out. So uh, you show in here graphs of here, yeah, here's where the um, vaccine was introduced. Thanks, guys. Uh, when everything was uh, already fucking gone. Same back here. Uh, right over here is when the uh, vaccine was introduced. Thanks, guys. We appreciate you. So it's a fascinating delineation between, it's just perception management like like anything else, right? They're like, oh, hey, we, we saved you. You know, but also there was nothing to, I don't think, save in the first place. And probably what they're doing is treating the symptoms of what they're bombarding you with in the food, the air, the water, the electro, whatever anyway, right? Right, right. And I would just want to be clear again, because I know this is confusing sometimes. This discussion is not denying symptoms and not denying that people die and get sick. It's a question of what causes it. Right. Yeah. Great delineation. Thank you. That's a great PSA. What about chicken pox, man? Blow our minds with the thought of chicken pox. So I know a lot of people out there, they go to these chicken pox parties and things like that. Yeah. I mean, there's so many theories on it. Um, I would say people don't know for sure, but it could be something with the uh, children around a certain age have a certain process hormonally. It could be part of the process of the development of the body. That's one speculation. Um, once you start getting into the topic of consciousness, it's it, that blows everything apart because you could have emotional shocks or some kind of shared resonance where there's literally an energetic connection and maybe something about an, a certain age um, 
makes people more susceptible to that sort of thing. So there could be a contagion, quote unquote, but it's not, it's an energetic contagion. It's it's not a, a virus. Super interesting. I don't uh, know fuck all about kids' ages or anything like that, but is that around the time that they're losing their teeth as well? Or is that like not I'm close? not sure. I'm not it sure. It may have something to do with this deciduous nature of us anyway, right? That there's something sort of that you need to shed off. Um, I don't know. At that point, maybe like you said, an energetic one. That's interesting. It's sort of like all the kids being reincarnated here again, going like, fuck, man, we're here again. We got this chicken pox stress release because they like recognize each other on a soul level. And yeah. Just freak out and do this. But it is interesting also, again, because not everybody that goes to those parties gets chicken pox. Not everyone does. If that's yeah. a big problem. People like to brush that over. No, if, if things are that contagious, everyone should get it. And then I quote Dr. Thomas Cowan. He, he uses his term inventive reasoning, mm. which is the idea that you come up with a theory that hasn't been established. And then you come up with theories on top of it to back it. So you say, well, they didn't get sick because of this immune system that protected them from it. And then if you really probe on that theory, that's not really established, but they had to come up with that theory to explain the anomalies of why not everyone got sick, even though they were in the same place. It's tricky just backtracking down the bullshit holes, you know, to go, hey, this isn't true. And then yelling back up the hole, okay, guys, I got another one. This isn't true. And then you're backed out of all of this stuff. And I picture it as sort of like those people that fill the ant colonies with aluminum. Have you ever seen them do this shit? No. They pour molten aluminum down an okay, ant colony maybe I've seen. and then fill it all and then they dig it out. But it's like to show the infrastructure and how intricate it is. And that's how it feels. It's just this pile of nonsense underground just with all these dead ends that leads you to more dead ends that cite dead ends over there as well and that's something that you were pointing to in this all the papers that you were citing that other people were looking up found dead ends on all of it on yeah. very established basics just like the hiv or just viruses in general it's fascinating yeah, there was something I wanted to say, but I forgot what it was. So let's keep going. That's okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what about consciousness and health? Let's talk about this shit, man. Um, this is the biggest thing in my mind. I mean, it's the second half of the book. And I, I wanted to start with the more conventional, like look at germs, look at toxins and electricity and all that stuff and radiation. But if consciousness is the basis of reality to some degree, which is what I've been arguing in my books, because I think there's a lot of evidence for that, then it would make sense that a shift in consciousness would have a shift in our body and the shift in health. And that that blows to pieces a lot of the other stuff because it might mean that, yeah, there's toxicity and there's other issues out there, but if your consciousness is in the right place, maybe you're not as susceptible to them. And also the flip side is you could be very susceptible to disease or symptoms if your consciousness is not in the right place or if you're having emotional issues and then the symptoms come out and you say wow you've got you've got this very specific skin thing like with chicken pox or shingles and we point to that skin thing but it might be a manifestation of something deeper that is maybe partially physical but also that's coming from consciousness too yeah whenever i think about um the tribes or the people that have been around for tens of thousands of years without Rockefeller's medicine, or you think about the Amish or the homeless or something like this and how they're not getting sick and just dying all over the place from the things that we are saying are, well, not us, but the, the establishment is saying that is just killing everybody by the fucking thousands and millions and all of this. And, but that's a problem. And, and what I visualize with this is that type of person who's going to believe in that, who's going to just glue themselves to the news, that's a, that's a personality type. And they are just in, in water that's two feet deep, but they're drowning in it and they're flailing in it. And we're walking by them just saying, hey, stand up. And then stand up. You know, all you got to do is take your life into your own hands. You don't have to be spoon fed these fucking pills and being told that what you're doing is helping you in any way because really if if it, the right questions are being asked that it's not found really in a doctor's office unless maybe it's therapy and you can talk to them about what's going on in your life 
Uh, there are, of course, medications that are necessary for folks because they're so chemically dependent and there is such a sweeping wave of toxins around here that maybe it's counterbalancing all this other shit and people have gotten in a good groove with it. It's a weird world we live in, Mark. And the things that you point out in here, though, are at a core and fundamental things that just people need to look at and question. It's just like the shape of reality. It's just like the things we talk about here. There are a lot of assumptions and presuppositions that are being made. And you give us an opportunity to question the shit out of these things, man. Yeah, and you reminded me of what I wanted to say before, which is that the position of people who claim there's no virus is they're looking at the virus hypothesis and trying to dispel that. That doesn't require having an alternative. And it's a logical fallacy a lot of people come up with. Well, you can't explain rabies perfectly or chickenpox perfectly. Therefore, it must be a virus. That's logical fallacy. So the big question is, yeah, what is causing all these other issues? And there are hypotheses that we could generate, other ones other than a virus, and try to test them, and then hopefully get some funding to look at it to understand disease better and symptoms. But we don't have that. And I, I want to hopefully correct some of the 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 way the mind is wants to work, which is, well, we have to go to the default of a virus rather than saying, maybe we just don't know. Maybe that's the correct answer. We don't know why people get sick. And that's a scary thing for people. Yeah, it's more terrifying in a way, right? But then it's more empowering as well, because then again, you're you're shown that what's been touted as what's going to heal you is not. It's actually doing the opposite in, in most can cases substantially. And so again, it's just stand up, dude. The water's two feet deep. You don't you don't need to flail around in that thing. What what did what is your thoughts on though the the physicalism versus this idealism uh, concept where you know our bodies what we are and maybe that there's a physical effect that's occurring here physically. Yeah. Well, physicalism is the idea that all of reality is is based in the physical and that even consciousness ultimately comes from something physical like a brain. Whereas idealism is the reverse. It's that everything is mental, everything is consciousness. And what we call physical is actually just an interpretation, but it's all in consciousness. Nothing's actually solid, just feels that way. It just looks that way. And I mean, that's where I've been leaning with my books directionally, that there's much more evidence toward idealism. And that, that then has huge implications for our health because our health is our bodily state. And if our body is this thing that we think is physical and nothing is physical, then what's going on with our consciousness and how does that impact our health? How does it, are you able to perceive reality that way, that all of this is an illusion and a dream in a way? I usually go into default mode where it seems physical, but now we're talking about it. I do the exercise, which is how do I know that it's physical? And I, I touch the chair and I'm like, well, it feels physical, but actually that's just a, the way my mind is interpreting it. Um, Rupert Spira, who's a philosopher, has meditations that I was doing several years ago on this, where he walks you through it, where like every sensation you can imagine, <clears throat> it's literally a modulation of your consciousness, but we're so attuned to interpreting it one way of that's physical touch, or um, I heard a sound and that comes from something physical, I see it and I, but it's reverse engineering of the mind. There's actually nothing, nothing verifiably physical that exists independently of consciousness because we would never be able to verify that. If if something exists outside of consciousness, that means you, it's unexperienceable. So we just, no, we don't know. We could never verify if that existed. And yet we assume that, well, if there were no consciousness, of course the physical would be here, but we don't know that for sure. No, it's like trying to explain time within time. You know, it, it's, 
it's hard to imagine that time doesn't exist somewhere else. Just the concept of not taking things linear. And what would that even be like to navigate? Would you navigate it? Are you frozen in place and you just experience one moment forever? Is it a navigational thing to where you can pluck yourself and go in any way? We can't conceive of that. But then we're told that it's most likely what occurs in some other state or dimension. Uh, it's the same with this kind of stuff, man. It's it's created this veil of reality over us, especially with the medical community, with anything really being touted, I think, in the mainstream. It's very one-sided as far as its directive. It's very clear that it wants you to think, feel, act, and operate in a certain way. Raise kids a certain way if you can. And it's just interesting to see the veil, to to look at it for what it is, man. It's just, you know, and that's that's my question uh, for you next, actually, is what, what do you think it's for what do you think all the apprehension of of this whole place is we know something screws going on and and the fuckery but what do you think it's all about mm. i really don't know i really don't know i mean there is the like the, the darkest perspective that seems to be out there right now is that it's a soul trap place and we are trying to escape and to me even that it presumes that there is a benevolence outside of the trap and if that's true, then that benevolence had to allow the trap to exist. Mm -hmm. So even, even the trap hypothesis is ultimately evolutionary. It's just a real test of discernment as part of the evolutionary process. So it leads me toward the idea ultimately at the highest level that it is evolutionary. It's just, there's a lot of darkness to wade through in it and a lot of discernment and a lot of risk in that, where if you don't do it properly, you could get caught from from that dark perspective but there's there's clearly benevolence that i i mean i think my looking at health has has reminded me of that so anita morjani she had terminal cancer she had an nde was experiencing unconditional love she changed her mindset and her cancer disappeared that seems pretty benevolent i mean i guess one could argue well she's a propagandist for the other realms and it's an intricate psyop basically but it's hard. I mean, everything we could argue is a psyop. I don't know for sure. It, it seems pretty benevolent to me, like the things that she's saying out there and she healed herself. I mean, she was in a state of misery, really psychologically and, and was able to heal from that. So I do think there is a balance of dark light and there's clearly a lot of darkness and veiling of truth in this realm that we are trying to transcend. Um, you're also reminding me of in the chapter on consciousness and healing, I talk about demonic possession. And that does seem to be a real thing. And I quoted uh, a Catholic exorcist who deals with these entities. And he, his message was really interesting that, that these entities, what he learns from the entities is that they are, they're sent by God to possess people in, in order to sanctify them because if they're able to overcome it, these are the holiest people. And that's like, you know, the Catholic perspective tends to really focus on this, this dark aspect pretty well, but he, then he turned it around to where I had been thinking about it is it's ultimately evolutionary too, that all challenges, it can be super rough, but we're going to overcome it and then we're better off in the end. It, it changed my perspective, Mark. The uh, <laughs> Is it Father Rippergers? Yeah, Rippergers. And I was reading this. It, it is at the back, and it's about extreme cases of demonic possession. Uh, its evil serves a purpose in our world, and one regarded as horrific and causes suffering, but a paradox is that it stimulates growth. And when I got to this part, I'm like, ugh. God, because even when I had Howdy on, we talked about this. I said, how do we know that you're not a fucking dis disinformation agent getting us to not go into the light, which is actually counterintuitive to our process, and then getting us over here in some void? Because even the even the out, by the way, sucks ass, okay? So even like when, you, when, you're, when you're down this hole and you're like, yeah, it's a soul trap. Okay, cool. I just cut my way out. I, I like a vision, a sword. I cut my way out, um, and now I'm out. The place that you go is the void. 
and you just kind of sit there and wait for the next reset is the idea. Number one, how do I know what that is, what that feels like? I've kind of felt something similar in psychedelic experiences, but that's manufacturable in my idea. Uh, everything is, by the way, in, in my idea. And so then, then you think to this like deeper level of it, well, how does that play out in a bigger picture? Because again, it sucks ass that I'm just going to be stuck in a void. I mean, maybe, you know, we can come back here and have some fun. Maybe that though is part of the trap, right? This whole idea that the way out is a psyop and steered us back. So again, you, it's, it's a constant circle jerk I find, buddy. And I am seeing Ouroboroses everywhere and paradoxes yeah. everywhere. And, but again, whenever you look at it through this lens, it, 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 okay. As I was considering this hypothesis, before I even talked to Howdy, I, I started going in my mind about this 3D, 5D thing, right? This whole like idea of Dolores Cannon and 3D, 5D. I thought it was always fucking weird. And I pointed it out that people skip the fourth D, like the 13th floor in a building, like it's bad mm -hmm. luck or something like that. Like, what's up with that? There's another number in here, right? And so I started thinking about this again when I was going through my shit. And I visualized it that the fourth D is not separate from here. And so the fifth D would be then your exhumation or your liberation from this entire complex of four and three and four D, let's say, just again for the model. We're just talking shit here. When when I considered this, then what ran this physical world was then the fourth dimension, right? It, it plugs in like dark matter. It plugs into the equation and just goes, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Because then it's energetic beings or forces that are somehow out of our ability to see and perceive other than maybe feeling, which is another interesting thing. We can talk about like that sixth sense thing. But out of our five faculties that we're aware of, they're unperceivable, but that seems to be part of the mechanism in which they operate is to be concealed, which sucks. Like we, we're not fans of that, right? It's, it's got to do with our sovereignty. It feels like we're being fucked with. And maybe we are, but again, maybe this idea that it's all malevolent isn't accurate. And whenever uh, you, you put this in your book, that's what I thought about. I was like, fuck, man, because then again, to this idea, back when I was thinking about it, I was like, well, what if those fourth dimension beings have to feed on us to survive? And so therefore they're thrown into some sort of hell to where they need us for sustenance, the shitty things that happen here feed them, and that's part of their evolutionary growth is to latch onto us and take and give in a way that doesn't just absolutely tank us out. So it's like your next spiritual level would be to be not seen but to be felt and to be pissed off, you know, <clears throat> maybe that you do need to lead them through some nonsense or because it's part of the journey, you get fed off of that. I know this is a lot, Mark, we're just talking. Uh, but then then you say, well, what if, again, it's a, more of a symbiotic thing to where, yeah, from the perspective of us, it blows. You know, from the perspective of a cow, it sucks to be a cow because that farmer, anytime he wants to eat, he can. Um, but this is more, again, of a symbiotic relationship. And so then whenever we consider the idea of contracts or that you chose to be here, I kind of picture this backroom contract being made by whatever's really driving the fourth dimension saying, oh, yeah, they're going to outside of time, right? They can see that, yeah, you're going to fucking get so much loose here. Your dad's going to die here. Yeah, oh, God, something horrible happens here. And so they plan like a life plan out just like your contract is with them. But you're unaware of all the fucking bullshit that you go through here. And that's your growth. But also it's a symbiotic system type of feeding that feeds energetically to propagate the system mm -hmm. itself. It's a right. weird concept. But then to think that it's bad is something that I didn't think about until your book. All bad, rather. Right. What you point out very well there, Brandon, is that this is complex. And some of the theories I've noticed are too simplistic and linear. Yes. And when I think about any transcendent experience I have, I've heard about, they say it's ineffable, that there are not words. 
And we're trying to use our human mind to say, well, this is how the reincarnation process works. And it's something I say in my second book and end upside down living where I say, yeah, I think reincarnation is real, but it's complex and we probably can't understand exactly how it works. And right. I wasn't thinking about soul traps then, but now I'm thinking back to how I was then. And I agree with myself that, yeah, maybe there are soul traps and like, you know, Courtney Brown's Farsight Institute, they claims to have remote viewed that seeing that there was a soul trap and maybe that it's been alleviated now that there isn't as much of it. So it might be that in certain cases, people are susceptible to it. Maybe their soul journey has to go through that discernment process and it's not generalizable. Like it just might, there might be so many layers to this beyond what we can even comprehend, number one. Another thing that concerns me, because I've gone back and forth in this myself, of like, is this just, are we in a, a demiurge? Um, hell of in effect is that the the argument turns into and people don't say it this way, but I'm going to phrase it this way: that love is a psyop. It turns into that, and that seems super dark to me. Like that doesn't seem right. It's dark, but is it false light? Is it wishing that it's, it was different and ignoring that? Right. Because so I've thought it, about this, dude, so hard. It's been the hardest thing I've contemplated. Uh, it it. It took all the expanding of my reality to get to this one mental mind fuck for myself. It's the hardest one. And it's maybe the, the most important because it's the meta, it's the meta framework really for what everything is that's happening. And maybe there are variations on it that there can be, there's just false light and light that we have to learn how to discern. But I don't know. I mean, but to, to conclude that love is a psyop, that, that seems like a demonic perspective if it, if it goes there. And I'm not saying everyone goes there, but then... I don't know, because it's the opposite of what other people would say, that that the universe is made of consciousness, which is fundamentally made of unconditional love. That's the that's what you hear a lot of in the spiritual world from people's direct experience. Is that is it is that not true? I think they experienced a temporary experience of that. I don't think that yeah. they, if they're honest, it was a full full on experience in the way that the entire totality of their consciousness, as they recall it, has been yeah. a dope experience. And I think that Again, this idea of it being a school kind of blows, dude, because I don't feel like I'm retaining the knowledge of my last life, which would probably come in pretty right. fucking handy. Um, and so it's this idea, again, that like there's so many considerations either way. And so this is why the scales are so balanced on this for me. But the atrocities are weighing heavier. My perspective of the things that I'd rather be different here and not like... Uh, I don't like electric cars, like not dumb shit, like uh, substantial fucking cancers. Like, again, mm -hmm. everything in your book, the way that structures are set up, the way the system operates. Again, I see the energetic system. It plugged in like dark matter, dude. I was like, oh, well, that makes sense because it's an. It, it, that's why it won't ever be fixed. This is why I abandoned that whole new age shit. I'm like, oh, mm -hmm. well, you can't fix this thing. It operates perfectly. It's a perfect machine. And it operates in a way that you don't understand and you don't even know what you are. And at our best, we can sort of say that we love things but is that then just enough fuel that we're programmed with to keep us going through the grind machine yeah it's interesting questions to ask but again more terrifyingly when you inter are introduced to this idea is what happens after because now i'm going to be like fucking throat chopping grandma like what, what do i need to do you know what i mean let me just give you a few tidbits that i've been thinking about um one is in near-death experiences where people see people who are not known to have died and then they later learn when they're resuscitated, that person died. So to me, that is a, a verifiable element of a near-death state, which, which would suggest to me that at least part of some near-death experiences is not a PSYOP because they accurately saw something of a person who died. Um, right? Wouldn't they, wouldn't it, if, if it were all just shapeshifters, for example, 
why would that happen? For the reason of this question, like it's, it's simplistic, it's simplistic fuckery, to be honest with you, is what I think is going on. It's like the mud shadows that Castaneda talks about. How yeah. I've always visual, visualized archons or the phenomena or any of it. Uh, it started with the phenomena, right? But really, it's like a fog or a mist that's over this entire place. But it's like nanoparticulars. And they can mm -hmm. form into any 70 hologram in front of you. Sound, light, feeling, touch, anything. And it can form anything it wants. A UFO, a Bigfoot, your dead grandma, somebody who's right. not dead yet. Uh, these shared death experiences, it can mimic these things it's just like a program they just flip a switch oh yeah, yeah they're doing this now yeah uh, and it's mind-blowing to us because of how gaslit that element of our reality is perhaps yeah i mean that's that's definitely the model where i, I just come out I, I i feel like i can't verify it either way no how could we know with with the ability to shape shift you literally can't know right you, you don't know. Like, you could be a fucking, I could be an archon. Like, all of us maybe are, right? Anything in your reality could be just a shape-shifted holographic element to make you think that that's what's occurring, and that's why it ramps it up in certain ways. Or, again, takes you through this grime machine. I mean, we can talk about mechanism of operation, but really when you look around, you can't trust any of this shit. But you walk over and it's solid. But people say in a dream sometimes they can walk over and touch something and say it's solid. And that's their verification that they're in a dream now. It's this mind fuck man do you think even if you're given ineffable information that you'll believe it at this point i'm so skeptical of everything that i i feel like i've got to test it and give it a trial run i and mean how how is that even done how do you test an experiment within the experiment it's using the definition okay. in the word yes so I, I agree with that but let's just i'll take my own experience because it's sort of, it doesn't feel ineffable when I'm writing books, but the way it unfolds, it's, it's pretty wild Okay. where the book just kind of comes and I'm, I mean, I have all the sources there and it, it flows too seamlessly, more seamlessly than I would think. And I, I go with it saying, I'm not sure if I'm even going to agree with this or if it's going to be substantial enough for me to want to publish it. And what happens is that it does seem to unfold that way where my rational mind can take over at the end and really try to evaluate it as a third party and say, okay, there is enough. And that came about through my trust in allowing it to happen. Unless everything I'm doing is a psyop that I'm getting psyops for, and every source I'm citing is a psyop. I mean, there's always that possibility that I, I hold in mind, but I, that's why I try to cite so much. Because to say that each of these independent sources, when you put them together, there's a really cohesive narrative that, that kind of makes sense. And I'm not the one saying it, it's all these other people. Could it be a psyop? I can't validate that it's not, but there is a compelling argument to be made. Because it's almost like the question, you know, that that is like after the Truman Show, right? That movie with, um, fuck, what's his name? Tell me what this. Jim Carrey. Yeah. What What about if whenever he goes up the stairs, he bids everybody good night, and he walks into the darkness? What if there's another level of reality there? That's another buffer from him getting out. But it's it's just another sort of again buffer. But and maybe it's got everything to simulate reality. So he's so convinced that he's outside of it. Um, and then now back into this reality, but maybe it's just, again, a bigger dome. Maybe he's, all he's done is cracked the first Matryoshka doll. And then now you're in this other layer. So it's almost like fail safes or safeguards. And it's things that are so far removed from our ability to perceive honestly, that it's so easy for us to fall for. This is, it's just so fascinating when you really look at it, dude. It sort of reminds me of inception, layers upon Absolutely. layers of a, of a dream. So here's another, this was the second point I wanted to raise that I've been thinking about. Um, we, we don't retain memory. I guess some people do in rare cases, they have memories of these alleged previous lives, whether they're children, some adults spontaneously do, but even the children, 
they at UVA they report that they have phobias and philias, so things that they don't like and things that they do like that transfer from life to life and really strange things. So like a child might crave tobacco or something. And I mentioned some of these in the book and ends upside yeah, down medicine. Do, yeah. So th something does get transferred. It might not be perfect. It might not be the full memories, but there is some leakage that can maybe even like some children, they feared drowning because they died in the previous life. And those sorts of things might persist. So why is there any leak? And then here's the other one. The fact that we are able to ask this question indicates to me, to me, that's almost by definition an indication that there is a benevolence that has to balance it out. And I don't know if it's predominant, but it has to be there. Otherwise, we would just be in a trap and never be able to question it. I'm going to give you one with that, but okay. this side of that coin. Okay. <laughs> if you think about the tortures of this place in the in the sense of that they're so elaborate, right? It's not this idea of we're like, oh, we're going to a thing and then we have that thing and then it's over. It's this death by a thousand cuts kind of a deal. Now, if you think about this then in a lifetime recyclable kind of a way and how often, let's just say that you're being manipulated through this system, okay? And they get, whatever air quotes they is, gets to grind you through a hundred lifetimes as a male, let's say, okay? Mm -hmm. Then you come in and then now you're strapped into a female body. And then maybe this occurred all at once over the past 20 years to where all of these bodies after thousands or hundreds of lifetimes that have been so physically fit with this memory, cellular memory, DNA memory, all of that of what it means to be the opposite energetic body literally is physically thrown into a new one and then therefore destabilized. This could answer a lot of questions as far as that goes. And again, which gives you honestly, in my mind, more empathy if you wanna be real about it. But yeah. the idea that I don't remember, uh, Howdy McCaskey's, um, example is stinging nettles he's like the stinging nettles sting and i gotta learn that in every lifetime that sucks uh, if yeah. you fall off something tall you go splat and i gotta learn that in every lifetime and that sucks like there are just things that i would like to retain about this 3d place but then the question is is are you incarnated into this place every time and maybe the knowledge of the reality before would just inhibit because it's not relevant like there's mm. nothing in it that's of use to you here and it's from one hell to the other that you're thrown uh if you look at it then from What'd you say about the kids? Yes, the uh, the memory transfer. It is almost like a haunting of your past prison sentence, if you want to put mm -hmm. it that way. Because mm -hmm. then you are saddled with phobias that exist here that now are going to terrify you forever. Maybe you didn't get a chance to fear water in this life, but you start with it. And so it adds a cytokine element to your in, the entire structure of your life. Another yeah. thing that I talked about uh, with Rachel Horton White, if this is... Uh, fucking school or if you are consciously learning here all of the time I <clears throat> I asked her how you can reconcile the idea that when somebody gets something horrible there's an example of a case that I read about some uh, young lady that was raped by a family member right but she didn't remember it until later like much 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 later she was very old when she found this out because her mind blocked it out okay mm -hmm. there's no conscious recall of the trauma for you to then recall and clear What's the point of the trauma? Furthermore, what's the point of you being able to be so traumatized here, if, if the goal is to clear it, that you're so traumatized here that you have to box it up? Is that for another lifetime that now you've got to carry through a few more lifetimes? Is again, strapped with this prison sentence idea. It's when these energetics start to weave into the lifetimes. If I'm asking questions where my mind's at now, that's just where I'm at. I see it as very elaborate. Like you said, it's much more complicated. Yeah, it's... We might not be able to conceive of it and as you're talking i'm just thinking how could we test those things to even try to find out and it's always going to be indirect 
well, and this is the idea of figuring this out from within it. Do you, this, there are paradoxes upon paradoxes here, which are stacked on unfalsifiables on unprovables. And then that's only the things that you don't know you don't know, right? And that's, it's just a whole, I honestly get to the points where it boils down to information. Um, I either am not getting enough information or my ability to perceive it is not dialed in such a way, not that I'm dumb, it's, it's not dialed in such a way that the concepts that would really answer the questions I yearn to be explored here, mm -hmm. I just can't perceive, or they're denied from me specifically. It's sort of like how our eyes can only focus in a certain vision. You know, that's a governance from some source. There is a God or some source code here. It could give us all the fucking spectrums, but why doesn't it, you know? it's and, and why can't you just maybe be aware of them, turn them on and off? You know, this sort of like, I want to see what that looks like now in the infrared or I'd, I'd like predator vision at night or something like that. You know, why isn't it variable? You know, just because you know that it exists. Like it's these things with the idea of that you're in a cool place that's here for you to have fun that bother me, like really mm -hmm. bother me. Simple shit. And we also run into a problem of just knowledge, limitations of knowledge. We can't know the past to be true we can right. only infer it's a memory it's a thought that occurs in the present moment so even this discussion that we're having is based on memories of information that came from other points in time that we're trying to bring to the present moment and properly remember them that may or may not exist so these it, it, it kind of brings me to byron katie's work where she asks um it's, she wrote a book called loving what is and she has these four questions it's about helping you unwind beliefs so you might have a belief about something of like, this person hates me. And then the first question you ask is, is that true? And you're like, yeah, this person definitely hates me. And the second one is, can I absolutely know that's true? And you think about it really hard and the answer is gonna, always gonna be no. No. You can't absolutely know anything. To me, other than at this moment in time, it feels like I am having a conscious experience. It feels that way right now. It's the only thing I know with absolute certainty and everything else is an inference. And with that mindset, I have no idea how to evaluate what we're doing here. Do you think that the evaluation of it misses the point? Is, it, is there somebody on the other side screaming at us that we're not having enough fun and that we're trying to figure shit out that we shouldn't be and that, you know, the Sims character's banging on the glass, but it's got like all these chicks it can bang. It's got like a <laughs> sweet car it can go drive. Like, it's sort of like, are, are they yelling at us? Like, go smoke pot and quit fucking around. Like, it could be more fun. I want to say yes to that, but then look at how many horrific things are going on in the world I'm saying, man. that we all have to deal with. And so it's hard to, it's, you can't escape that. Like the world was just shut down because some people said that there was something that was going to kill us. And this was the only way that you had to stay in your home or you were not an essential worker or you had to wear this mask, et cetera. So things are imposed on us. And that that's one of the shifts I've had that has made me want to continue writing is that passivity doesn't seem to work here because there is a force that is adversarial, meaning it actively comes after mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. and you can't be passive with that. So maybe there's an element of what you're saying, like, yeah, have fun, but then also be on alert. Yeah. It's like more of an actionable without fear. I, I feel it on the other side of this kind of, even if it's not a, um, truth, which I don't, you know, temporary truths anyway, but if it's, even if it's something that I breeze over later and go, ah, I feel better about it. I, I still am going to have it in mind as a variable. It's still going to be considered and it has changed me. It, it has just simply changed me. But again, it's not that I have any firm belief in it. I'm looking forward, honestly, biasly to changing my perspective on that or actually offering more variables that are substantial. 
um, because it's a bummer of a fucking perspective, man. You know, you get out of this place, you're your trauma thrown into some hard sales pitch to get into a light and come back here. I mean, it's terrifying, right? Um, there's nothing benevolent about that. Um, but then also, you know, some people like say that they're senseis or dickheads, but they end up being like the best martial artists ever. You know, it's like this tough love idea, you know, and they hated their, called them Satan the whole time, right? Respected right. it, but called them Satan the whole time. So it's just perception. I know that, but it's with knowledge, feeling, um, especially the bombardment with the chaos in this place. Uh, it's it's interesting to still want to give a shit about this place, and so that's my question to you. Even with all the books you write about how fucked up things are here, man, and how there are maybe a dash of things here or there that we would like to see differently, like what gives you hope? What keeps you moving forward? Well, I end the book and end Upside Down Medicine with a quote that I think encapsulates this, and the idea is that our first objective should be to save our own souls, <laughs> And, and that's something we, we have control over, at least in terms of how we respond to everything in the world. We can't control the system. And the quote is something like the, the Leviathan system is going to fall under its own devices. And maybe the things you do in saving your own soul contribute to that by helping other people. But really, it's about you, you save yourself. And then because we have a conscience, there's always a desire to serve others, too. So it's like that's those are controllable things. I can try to work on developing my own discernment to the best degree possible and having my own paradigm shifts and then sharing it with people. And then if they want to have shifts and learn what I've learned, then they can do so. And I kind of end there. I mean, the system's going to be the system. It's not, I don't know if it's take downable or even something that we should be trying to do. I don't disagree with you at all, man. This is a wild place. You've written an incredible book and a stack of incredible books. And so I can't wait to just talk to you about all of this stuff. <laughs> We're going to cut it here. But um, guys, all the ways to find him, of course, located down in the show description, as well as the additional links that he mentioned for reference. We are absolutely going to cite them shits. I can't thank you enough, man. Always a pleasure. I look forward to everything. And maybe, you know, come hang out with me in Texas. Or we got that thing going on in May, dude. Come watch Bigfoot with us or something like that. Thanks, Brandon. Always great talking to you. It's fun. Just want to thank the great and powerful Mark Gober for coming by and hanging out. That amazing man's new books and all the ways to find him will be located down in the show description. Chickity check that out for sure. Also want to thank you, uh, the watcher and listener, for just hanging out with us and um, expanding your reality with us here. It's It's been a fucking ride, and I know this has been a wild one for you that have been following from the beginning, and I appreciate all the sweet messages and everyone reaching out too, by the way. So thank you, thank you, thank you. I want to mention while we're here at uh, the Patreon signup that's occurring, you can go check out the multiple levels over there for value exchange. One of them includes the ability to come hang out with us for these Patreon hangouts that we are doing weekly. We've got uh, one, uh, we've got them all, all the time. So one coming up this Friday uh, with Ksenia Moore and Tom Sherman and Louisa Firethorn. Like it's going to be a banger. So if you guys want to come hang out for those, ask questions. Um, some of them are live recordings of the episodes and then you ask questions after. It's a cool fucking time. So I'll say that. Come be a part of the community if that's something you feel called to do. Also want to point out that transcripts are available completely for free down in the link below. Also, the uh, journal series by Redigital Publishing. Yes, that means ridiculously original. Thank you for figuring that out. Redigital Publishing, our publishing uh, house that we have here, we've published journals. They are available only on Amazon for right now, but they will be going wider soon. And also, there's an Instagram you guys can go follow there 
uh, Redigital Publishing. It's located down below. Also, cannot let you run here without mentioning as well our Befriending Bigfoot event. That's going to be May 15th through 20th. I may have misspoken the past two recordings that will live on in infamy, but that's fine. I'm not going to, you know, just update it and move forward. So May 15th through the 20th is when that bad boy will be occurring. It is in Blairsville, Georgia. That's the Southern Blue Ridge Mountains. We're going to have a blast, guys. Intimate conference, hiking, all kinds of cool shit going on. So reach out at the email below, expandingrealityexcursions at gmail.com before I can get you links to more specific information if you are curious in the meantime. just want to thank you guys uh, for watching, listening, hanging out, enjoying uh, this crazy ride we call reality. And uh, just to remind you to pick up a piece of litter, get out of the left-hand lane, and to remain unfucking stoppable Y'all go out into this crazy place and just be good to one another. We'll see you next time. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.